What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to my social life. This is the podcast where you can hear the life stories behind the people on social media. I'm your host, Jacob Kelly. As always, today's podcast is powered by TrueFan. And today is an episode of The Social Report. And The Social Report is a monthly episode in conjunction with TrueFan where we sit down and talk about some of the most interesting influencer marketing and social media news from the last 30 days. As always, today, I am joined by TrueFan CMO Karen O'Brien and TrueFan advisor Scott Birdie. Welcome back to the podcast. Hey, hey there. there. <laughs> Guys are in sync now. I love it. And so I think like the natural place to start, we were already chatting before we jumped on here, uh, OnlyFans, which I'm sure most people are aware of kind of what's going on with OnlyFans, but a quick TLDR, I want to catch everyone up to speed. And I know you have a couple interesting stories, Karen, about everything that's kind of this fallout from the OnlyFans decision. And so OnlyFans essentially came out and said they were banning sexually explicit content. Now there was like a weird fine line here because it was, they were essentially banning porn, but not like you could still do, you could still do like topless photos, but not, so it was a weird line. So trying to figure out that line was interesting. That was just one thing, but it was sexually explicit content that they were banning. And this was interesting because I think two days prior to the announcement they were banning sexually explicit content, they launched OFTV, so OnlyFans TV, which was um, safe for work content. And it was essentially like their own streaming platform where you could watch produce shows that they've done. It's like they interviewed top OnlyFans creators, but it was completely safe for work, no nudity, no nothing. So it was like their kind of foray into more of a mainstream because they were trying to attract more mainstream creators. And everyone's like, that was kind of a weird decision. But I mean, like I understand, but OnlyFans is for sexually explicit content. So that's an interesting move on their part. Only 48 hours later for them to come out and say that they're banning sexually explicit content off the platform entirely because for citing a bunch of different reasons, I know you'll get into one of them, Karen. They've also said they've had difficulty attracting investors because they focus on sexually explicit content, which I personally have a very difficult time believing because they were doing, I think, what was it, $2.4 billion in revenue in 2020 so like, and growing. And so I don't know what investor looks at a fast growing company and goes, I don't think I'm going to invest in that. I feel like that's a bit of a of kind of a cop out. Um, and then another thing too, I, someone who I thought covered the story and even the OFTV story really well was Philip DeFranco. And I'll make sure everything's linked in the show notes down below as we always do. Uh, but he interviewed Lena The Plug, who's one of the top creators on OnlyFans and kind of just talked to her about her decision. And she said she was definitely felt blindsided by OnlyFans' decision. There was no warning going out to creators in advance of this. And it's also something that I feel like a lot of people don't think about, but in her case specifically and probably multiple top creators on the platform is it's not just she's losing her monthly income. She has a team of people People that help create, edit, distribute her content. And now because of this decision, OnlyFans is taking away their jobs as well. So we're probably looking at hundreds of thousands of jobs that were kind of wiped out, or at least income streams were wiped out in one decision by OnlyFans. And again, so they were citing that they're having trouble getting investors. They were trying to cross over into more of the mainstream, um, which I think is really, which obviously not a great decision. OnlyFans kind of built their back, uh, uh, built their platform off the back of these sex workers and people making sexually explicit content. And then once they hit a certain level of success, they just completely kick them out of the platform. So I think that's obviously not a great look for OnlyFans. Um, obviously, they still, actually this morning, they did announce they're suspending this decision. So at not indefinitely not not banning these creators, but they've decided not to go forward with it at the time being. Uh, but it's, I'm going to be interested to see kind of what the fallout is, which kind of leads into some of your stories, Karen, because this obviously did not play well from a PR perspective for OnlyFans. They lost a lot of respect from their creators and their users. So I'm curious to see if, even though they are suspending this decision, are creators going to be looking to leave the platform anyways after doing something like this? Because the only reason they did reverse their decision was because of outcry from the public and their users and, and consumers. Yeah, I mean, as a marketer, I do dig into the details. And so I was very curious where that line was for them, where they were 
drawing that line um, because of their history and because what they were known for as a brand. And so my understanding is where the line was drawn was that you could have sexually explicit content, but not sexually explicit conduct. So you could have nude photos, but they could not be doing anything. So, but I do think that there is a sort of level of respect that if you're going to build a business like this, you've got to pay to the creators and who are essentially sex workers in this case. And I might add legally working, right? So one of my questions when they sort of said that we're going to, you know, stop this kind of content because we're not able to pay our creators because banks are refusing payments. How is that even possible? How can banks refuse payments to legal enterprises and creators? That makes no sense to me. Um, It feels like a judgment call and it feels like sort of a PR stunt to force the banks to, you know, work with them. So it was just just very odd thing. But I think an unexpected outcome of that was that some of their biggest creators left the platform, including Tiga, who basically started his own OnlyFans type platform called MyStar, Maya with two Ys, um, and is going to be charging half of the fees that OnlyFans is. And I'm sure that he's got, you know, an, an exodus lining up at his door. So I'd love to sort of hear what you guys think about that. Should Should platforms be you know, basically taking care of their biggest creators and, and their creator in their creator community in general? Or should they, you know, be heavy handed in this way? Uh, tough for me to say what exactly they should or should not be doing, considering I've never ran, you know, the likes of the corporations that they these have spiraled into. But like, I definitely think about history and history would probably tell us that like the platform's that may now at least have the best chance of surviving longer into the future are the ones that give back to the creator pool in some way. And like, whether it be through a combination of like distribution deals that kind of lead to them growing and having other outlets for endorsements and stuff, or directly through some sort of like creator ecosystem, there's probably a mix in between. But uh, OnlyFans is kind of like the platform that strikes me as one where it's like, if you built you know, it's like, imagine if Instagram banned photographers or something like right. that in its early days. Like it just, it seems travel a little blockers. bit, busy. yeah, right. Like it's like, we've actually been, we've done away now with the travel scene. We've pretty much gotten through it. So we're going to move on to like live TV or whatever. Um, it just seems so strange. And like, especially given the revenue, however, like looking at the facts and some of the articles that you guys shared, the, the purpose of like, well, what it seems to come down to is like they were trying to raise on a billion dollar valuation and potentially move away from that at the same time. And so I don't, you know, there's probably a lot of like details or like a small print, if you will, that certain people are privy to that has to do with like, were there conversations going on behind the scenes with like huge players? Maybe that could connect them to like certain distribution rights for things that didn't want to get too involved. I mean, like, I don't know. It's the only thing I could think of because, it, yeah, like, there's got to be a million people you could go to who would want to fund a rocket ship. Like, I mean, like, I personally don't have any interest in, like, getting on the platform as a user and, and maybe being a creator on there. But, like, if I had the opportunity to invest, like, if they did a crowdfunding campaign, are you kidding me? I'd go in and oh, There's plenty of people who would invest in that and do invest in that industry. But I yeah. would also just say I don't understand. I feel like there's a lot of corporate posturing here for some reason that's probably unknown to us. They're a creator community like any other and deserve their respect, I think, from the platforms that they are helping to build. 
one thing about kind of that I think is interesting with this OnlyFans is to look back at a couple of other platforms who have made similar decisions to OnlyFans and it has not panned out well. And the two that I'm thinking of are both social platforms, which just because of sheer user base is kind of the close thing we could equate to OnlyFans. And the first one being Tumblr. So Tumblr ended up banning porn a few years ago. And that was like, I'm pretty sure that's, I don't know anyone else, like why, I don't know anybody that used Tumblr. So my understanding, that was why people use Tumblr and they lost the majority of their user base because they banned porn off the platform. Secondly is Vine. Vine didn't cater to their top creators. Their top creators were asking, there was kind of some back and forth from my understanding. Creators wanted to get paid. Vine wasn't able to pay them. And so they left and Vine kind of folded shortly after that because they didn't take care of their creators. So we can just look back to recent history of two companies that were doing really, really well that made similar decisions of not catering to their creators and banning porn, which is what the platform was known for essentially, and both of them tank. So I don't know exactly what OnlyFans thought they were going to be able to do doing two of these decisions that previous platforms have made and come out on the other side better than where they are right now. There's like a lot of interesting sides to this that my mind goes to. One in particular would have been not just like you, what how the decision overnight affects all these creators potentially if they did make it or if that policy comes into place. But like thinking backwards and like how many of those there's certainly a lot of sex like workers and like people who are purposefully making that type of content, but actually a lot of influencers who I feel saw like they've transitioned at least, or like kind of created a brand for themselves away from, you know, maybe like their YouTube brand or like their Instagram brand. Um, and then kind of created this only fans brand where they share like certain tidbits of content, but they've also, I've only like, I'm thinking about a few specific cases that I sort of followed over the course of the last couple of years on the internet. And like this one Australian woman who was like more like surfer, and then really took to OnlyFans, but lost a, a lot of their kind of initial or first community, if you will, just from people who didn't necessarily share those beliefs, I guess, on like what people should or shouldn't be doing with, you know, on the internet with their body or whatever. And um, it, it definitely like creates an opportunity for somebody, but like, yeah, this is, I don't see this happening. Like, I don't, I don't see how this could actually take place. The other thing I was thinking about right away when it came down to financial and like investment is even just if you plan on paying out your creator economy with some way or even just treating them well like you know catering to your creator economy like why not look there first if people have been cashing like million dollar checks in a week like i'm sure they'd be willing to fund the growth and like the the inevitable development that this platform kind of needs to handle the demand you know and another thing i was thinking about too is so they cited one of the reasons i've talked about the bank payments also just the fact that they were trying to move away from people from it, from sexual explicit content because they wanted more creators who didn't create that kind of content on the platform. But because they have that reputation as a, as a platform that puts out sexually explicit content, whenever somebody would come onto the platform, it would make news. Like Corinna Koff came on the platform that made news. Bella Hadid came on the platform that came news. Cardi B. And I don't even think Cardi B was posting sexually explicit content and she still made news. So even though that, um, they are a sexually explicit platform. When people came over, whether they were doing sexually explicit content or not, it made waves because they joined OnlyFans. So they looked at it in the short term as like difficulty recruiting creators to come make non-explicit content on the platform. But even if I'm them, then I would be, but it makes news. So if I'm them, I'm probably trying to license some bigger creators to come on the platform, knowing the amount of free PR I'm going to get from it to help spread the message of the fact that we're not just for sex content. You can do other content here. It would cost them obviously a little bit more upfront to start licensing creators to come and make content on the platform. But it would the, with the PR lift, it would help spread the message that they're more than just sexual content. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. There's definitely some ways that they made 
be able to like expand outward, but to do away with it altogether would seemingly result in an end or a dramatic step backwards. And I just wonder why they would want to do that. Like there's enough business in that business. Yeah. <laughs> like why would you, why not just go all in and own it? Of course. Right. Like it's especially when you're doing the well. In, the initial intentions were kind of like what you're saying. Like what is this like some sort of political, who knows like what the ultimate goal is here. It, it feels like if Whole Foods was like, we're no longer doing groceries and we're going to make a restaurant. Like it doesn't really make sense. Um, right. But I mean, and we're going to have a lot of junk food. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. I mean, I think the Taiga platform is super interesting. Like him being such a popular creator on OnlyFans, he's naturally going to attract other creators. So like, even though they've reversed course, this decision is still going to hurt them. And I think too, like it reminds me a lot of, I think it's Gary Vee who I said, like if the top 20, 25 players in the NBA just up and left the NBA and created their own league, they would create a genuine problem for the NBA because the top players in that league hold so much power right like if lebron james left the nba kevin durant james harden Kyrie, all these guys left you'd definitely go and watch them wherever they went and so i feel like we could see a similar thing play out here with only fans with people following their favorite creators and aren't just platform like they aren't just on only fans because only fans are on only fans for the creators yeah my understanding is tiga actually deleted his his um his only fans count and it was, I don't know how many followers you had, but it was a lot. You get better PR probably like that. Just like make it a little bit more real, make it a little bit more uh, dramatic, if you will, like sudden. Uh, yeah. But yeah, he's definitely wrapped up in that like influencer economy and um, could bring a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. And if you look at his MyStar, it's M-Y-Y-S-T-A-R.com. Um, you can apply. So he's, he's, he's basically, it's going to be invite only or or get screened and apply. So that's kind of uh, cool. I'm sure that the exclusivity. No real platform built at this point. <laughs> I mean, like, no, not a bad play either way. <laughs> Probably working Perhaps. on those uh, back-end developers. Uh, yeah. Nonetheless, it's an opportunity. Probably an opportunity for far more than just Taiga. Taiga, like, I'm sure one or two others will come out of the woodwork soon. And come up with yeah. something. Oh. Absolutely. But now that we've kind of had this super friendly for the algorithm conversation, I feel like maybe we should oh, wait, jump wait, something. Sorry. I, just, I just realized something. Yeah. How is the OnlyFans description on LinkedIn? Like this is so PG, like not, not even PG, it's like G. OnlyFans is a subscription social platform revolutionizing creator and fan relationships. All right. That's a light way of putting it, I guess. But maybe this is, you know, in mind with like where they're going. It's like, yeah, we're a social platform revolutionizing creator and fans like come on you i think you can nail it down a little bit more than that to your it's very audience. generic yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, and another question actually sorry now that we're talking about this and them going in the other direction could they not have just spun out a separate company and because they've made so much money with only fans they could have funded that and helped attract yeah. creators to a like, better way with their creators to like drive yeah, yeah i don't know only fans after dark or whatever you want to call it like yeah why not or even like, cause they did OFTV, but like, even if they stepped away from the OnlyFans brand, you know what I mean? How there's like true fan and player. It's not like true player or anything. Like they, they're under the same company, but they're distinct. Like, could they not have done something like that where they had a separate company, but they could have easily propped it up with the money they made from OnlyFans and just kind of kept them separate. I don't know. I just think there's so many other ways they could have approached doing this than just straight up banning most of their creators. This is why I say there's some posturing going on there because when you're literally going to turn away from the core customer that you have, 
I mean, there's got to be some, maybe they didn't like that customer that they had. I don't know. They certainly liked yeah, the money yeah. they were making, I'm sure. Definitely. Billions of dollars. Yeah, Mark definitely has some disposable income. I don't know. Yeah. It's odd. I, yeah. But but speaking of okay, back to stepping away from a, an algorithm unfriendly conversation, Scott, I know you had a story that you want to talk about that's kind of a follow up to what we talked about last month with the Olympics, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I wanted to point it out. Like, I was bringing up the fact that there was pretty remarkable jumps in follower growth uh, for some specific sports like just surfing, uh, skateboarding, and that. Uh, and then there was an article that came out over the last month that basically. I don't know, put some numbers on it. So the fact that like Reyes uh, Leal, uh, the Brazilian skateboarder who's I think he's 13 years old or something like that, um, gained 10.5 million followers across social media in a matter of like two weeks or something of the nature. And that woman, I, should, I think I can go with girl actually in that case. Is that a woman or a girl? Karen, I don't even know. Um, but the 13-year-old got an endorsement from Space Jam like days after finishing the Olympics. And so she's obviously carrying that star power now where it's like, if you want attention and you want that international vibe, like, I mean, there's probably a price tag somewhere that you can find and it's worth paying at this point. But yeah, there's some notes on some other people who uh, who generated a pretty significant following during the time of the Olympics, like Kanoe Garashi, one of the Japanese surfers. Um, another one that I mentioned last week was Italo Ferreira, the world champion in surfing. Uh, growth rate grew to 142% over the course of the Olympics versus what was probably, I think like four to 8% maybe during the normal days. Um, the CFO of the world surf league actually posted on LinkedIn, sharing the fact that I guess it grew to about like where surfers together were gaining about 18 times the following day over day, or like kind of month over month, if you will, during the Olympic period versus like the normal day to day, the sport has. So pretty interesting to see those new sports, like, obviously probably driving some new eyeballs to the Olympics with the younger demographic and people who watch those sports, but also contributing to, uh, yeah, a lot of new attention for athletes and probably more dollars in the creator economy. If you ask me. Absolutely. And I just pulled up a tweet here. I saw today actually from Joe Pompliano saying how out of the 4,800 plus Olympians this year, uh, with Instagram accounts, over 90% of them posted into their feed or their stories during the Olympics. So a lot of personal storytelling going on and people trying to take advantage of that moment for sure. Yeah. I was trying to look into actually when Karen brought up like the regulations, cause I did notice that there was just like, I don't, people were still stingy about putting pictures out on the grid and stuff like that. Um, I'd be curious to see like within three, I think three years or less than that now until the next Olympics happens. Uh, I guess winter would be like a year from now, isn't it? Um, not even yeah I'm i wonder sure if those things are going to be changing like i wonder if the olympic committee is starting to think about like how could we posture ourselves you know better to to really capture the attention that we have on social since I mean, no doubt that's got to be pro one of the biggest places people look to to actually follow the games now like you're following individuals not necessarily the games like i, I didn't watch it on tv did you guys i did but my girlfriend's a big olympics fan so like she had on so i always like come out of the office and like it'd be on so i'd sit down or whatever and watch a little bit of it so it was interesting but but yeah how can how can the olympics capitalize on the fact that 90 percent of their athletes are posting about it? like is there a way where they can get a boost in social from that as well well the olympics stay relevant that's how they get a boost i'm with you yeah. karen yeah i think otherwise like as opposed to the x games or whatever else could be created right 
how does a major event stay major in society these well like make yourself loud <laughs> on in the internet that's for sure um and honestly going back on another conversation about like only fans i don't be so curious to actually see like if there are a lot of athletes that potentially have an OnlyFans account or something like that is just for the sake of like understanding um like on a global scale other than like canada certain countries like the us that actually like contribute significant funds towards athletes that are training for the olympics like there's not a ton of way to make money for certain sports so that could be another way of like hey capitalize on popularity for social and kind of like convert that um or monetize that through an app like OnlyFans. but yeah It'd be interesting because I know in, in some countries too, they pay a lot more though than can in the US do, right? For their, like I saw a TikTok some or something. Do. Like, yeah, like I, I, Japan, I'm pretty sure, China, like places like that. Like I don't, I'm not really that aware of like the metal payments, but Germany, I'm pretty sure there's some places in Europe too. One of the athletes sold her metal, I think, to pay for medical for a child that was in need. I forget which country it was and which athlete. It was pretty amazing. She, she raised a lot of money. Yeah, wow. that's impressive. Yeah. You'd hope like they could, like the Olympics could send her another medal for that. You well, know what I, mean? I think whoever bought it gave it back to her. Oh, really? That's yeah. awesome. That's yeah. Yeah. Kudos faith, to that in, faith in humanity restore a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <there. laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, hold on we a second. We'll look that we'll story up that. and include it. It may be in the notes or something. <laughs> yeah. It was a really yeah. great story. Yeah. I'll see if I can find it for sure. But. But yeah, no. And then like, but to the, to the point with the Olympics of watching it, I didn't realize it ended either. Like, so I would watch it every once in a while, but like, I wasn't following it closely enough that like, I, it just was over one day and I didn't even realize, you know, but has I mean? it ended? So, Cause I still have stuff showing up in my DVR that's recording. Uh, I think the Paralympics, <laughs> the Paralympics are on right now. So mm. it could be that. They're like still uh, advertising it in like Apple TV and stuff. <laughs> if you scroll down like a few sets, it's like, Oh, the Olympics, like Tokyo. Like, I think I got through most of those events that I was interested in, but, uh, yeah. I'm agreeing with you though, Jacob. I didn't know when the thing started ended. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's great because there's so many sports on that you can like watch that you never normally watch, but it's so hard to follow because there's so many things happening. You know what I mean? Like I see different people talking about different things that happen in the Olympics. I didn't realize it was a sport that was happening. And like there's just so many, so much going. It's tough to keep up to an extent. So, like I from an Olympic social perspective, like as the people running the Olympic social media, it must be an absolute nightmare trying to cover everything and make sure everything gets the adequate amount of love and nothing's like must be crazy. Like I've covered one team, but like trying to cover a whole event must be insane. And like how many different sports? Yeah, that would be an intense role for sure. For sure. My uh like watching the Olympics as a marketer and as a Canadian living in the U.S. was always a barometer for me of seeing media and journalistic bias. So, for example, you watch the Olympics in the United States. It's like a completely different Olympics than you see when you're watching it in Canada or watching it in Spain or watching it in Ireland. Why? Because there's nothing covered except U.S. athletes and what they're competing in. I found that it was pretty similar in Canada. Like they focus on Canadians, obviously, but like I can understand that to an extent, like whenever Canadian wasn't like a swimming heat, I'd kind of be like, Oh, you know, like I was a little disappointed. Like it's cool to see it, but like, I'm also there. Like I, I definitely found myself engaging more when I had like someone to cheer for quote unquote, because like, so I understand, I understand to an extent, but also it's like, it's, I would still like to see events that Canadians aren't competing in. Cause I feel like that's also why I didn't yeah. see it. I mean, I also, I felt like watching it from Canada different years, I felt like it was much more of an international view. Um, 
probably just because the Canadian team is smaller, right? Yeah. And then the US team athlete. is so huge. Like, I get it, but still, I don't know. It just the US felt... team has, like, a favorite in every single sport. Yep. It's like, oh, they're knocked out in, like, round 32. Oh, my God. Headline news. <laughs> How could they do that to us? What a letdown. And then, like, the people who win silver, like, barely getting any uh it's a funny day in the olympics but it'll be interesting to see how it goes in years to come honestly um it's great to see that the other countries though like i, I think it was like philippines i uh, got like a gold medal for the first time ever weight weightlifting or something like that and like those countries rally around those athletes like and it's something you've never seen almost uh, so i think that's the thing that we can always hold on to is like the olympics will always have that kind of like I don't know. It's something that you work for, especially in third world countries. Like in Canada, we were just talking about our team and not having the most athletes, but like where you really like, that's not something that's a guarantee for you. Like that's something that'll get you out. Pretty cool. Absolutely. But, but jumping stories here, Karen, I know you wanted to talk about Facebook's transparency reports, right? Yeah. So Saturday, <laughs> Facebook uh, released their first ever transparency report, which basically showed us the most viewed content. And it was for Q2 2021, which when you see that leads you to ask, where's Q1 of 2021? Where's the transparency report for Q1? Where did that go? And they actually did create one, but because of the top viewed posts were misinformation, they didn't release it. Come on. Yeah, no, for real. So the, the, the most viewed post in the 2021 Q1 report was a, a misinformation report around COVID vaccine and a doctor that supposedly died two weeks after getting the vaccine. And it was put out by the Chicago Tribune in a very clickbaity kind of headline saying doctor dies two weeks after getting vaccine, which is, in my opinion, very irresponsible of any publication, particularly a credible news publication to put out because why did they die? Did they actually die of the, of the vaccine or did they die because they got hit by a bus? Like nobody knows, right? And that of course got shared the most to be the most viewed post in that three month period on Facebook must've gotten shared a lot. So I think that kind of alerted Facebook to the fact that we might have a problem here. We're spreading misinformation. Our algorithm is spreading misinformation. Um, and it was covered by other news outlets. Some of them put in updates and rebuttals, others didn't. So the question then becomes, should Facebook be basically taking down news posts from credible news agencies and journalists if it contains misinformation? It's a slippery slope because journalists would say, no, let me do my job. I think there's a couple things point out i mean like one you know the internet is the internet these are social media platforms and like to some extent like controlled they're they want you to like well i shouldn't say they want you they want to promote like free speech and the things that like you know great countries like the u.s and canada stand for however there's also like we've learned i guess now over the years the consequence that allowing too much or like not drawing a line can have um so I would say no, because like personally, you can write a blog on your website and it can find whoever, like, you know, maybe that's Google's thing to figure out of like how they're controlling, um, how that's reaching people. But like, hey, if you want to publish something on the web, that's fine. But in a in a source where like 
the platform is artificially in some way distributing the content out to the users on that platform so that people have something to see and they have a way to engage the user and bring them onto the platform. They shouldn't be allowed to like use fake news basically as a way to do that or as a way to cater to their users. It doesn't seem like a, there's no win there to me. We know these algorithms basically spread and amplify information that gets posted and shared by your immediate circle of friends and family and contacts. Still, <laughs> I think there's some sort of regard for like truth, you know? But on the other hand, if the if the consequence to that is shutting down free speech, that's not good either. I do think Facebook, though, has some sort of responsibility to some bigger, you know, societal responsibility. The algorithm today is fully, fully optimized for keeping you in your newsfeed as long as possible. Viewing and engaging. And so, I don't know, maybe keeping political posts or those kind of things out of the newsfeed. Would that make sense? I don't know. Would you want to have no vaccine information? Probably not. I don't know. I don't know the answer, but I just, I feel like for it to be the most viewed post in Q1 and then for them to respond and say, well, we have some cleanup to do on our own platforms <laughs> and not put out the report seems wrong too. But it, it sort of speaks yeah. to how hard it is to identify misinformation and then the judgment that happens around it. I think what they, because I think an interesting place they could look for inspiration for how to handle this. I know Twitter's done some stuff like they aren't banning everything, but like Twitter has done is like they, for a period, I think it was during the election or something, you couldn't retweet an article without reading it or something like that. So you had to have clicked through and spent time reading the article for you to share it. Um, you also couldn't just outright read. So I think you had to read it to be able to share with a comment and you couldn't just straight up retweet. You had to retweet with your own thoughts. So you had to at least type something. Um, so I don't know if Facebook could look at doing something similar to that where you can't just share it. You have to actually read the article to be able to share it. I don't exactly know how they could monitor if you read it or not, if you just clicked it and came back. Um, that's a technical question. I don't have the answer to, um, but could they also flag something if they know it? Like if there is, do they think there's misinformation? Could they put like a flag on it some, some way, somehow let people know that it's make up maybe misleading headline or something like that? Like, is there ways where they can make it apparent that they know it's here? This is everything we're doing to like, we're letting you know that this isn't a hundred percent truth. We're making you do the due diligence yourself by having to read it before you can share it or anything like that. Um, but without having to limit free speech. Cause I think that creates, that opens a Pandora's box for what can you take off the platform? What can't you like, what is free speech? What is anything? It's just, it would be an absolute nightmare and there'd be no winning on any side. So I think if there's ways they can look at kind of stepping in the way without actually limiting free speech, I think it would probably be the best alternative. Yeah. Their um, policy communications director, Andy Stone on Saturday tweeted, I'm going to read you the tweet here. Um, said that the criticism Facebook has faced for initially withholding the report wasn't unfair, but adding that defining misinformation is a complex process. News outlets wrote about the South Florida doctor that died when the coroner released a cause of death. The Chicago Tribune appended an update to its original story, and the New York Times did not. Would it have been right to remove the New York Times story because it was COVID misinformation? Of course not. No one is actually suggesting this, and neither am I, but it does illustrate how difficult it is to define misinformation. And then he goes on to say that they have some key fixes to the system to make. To me, this just sounds like, you know, he's a communications director and it sounds like he's already 
you know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And if you look at the Q2 report, it's got some cute puppy memes, you know, some the top some of the top posts were things like what three words do you see and what food would you never eat under any circumstances? It's all that clickbaity stuff that is non-political, you know, non-controversial. And I would really be surprised given our current environment that that's all that surfaced to the top. I was just going to say like obviously I think there's a incredible amount of opinions on this stuff. Um I think a little bit about like where university's gone and where like post-secondary and that seems to be going in terms of like reducing speech about certain subjects. Like that to me is almost another layer of way drunk. Like there's things there that are going to really affect the way we communicate with one another on a real level, uh, like let alone over the internet. If Facebook puts controls into place at some point, they should have some means of allowing what goes on and what doesn't in a platform where it's like they're distributing the content. It's the same thing with ads, right? Like I just even think about it on their ad platform. I've been blocked before when I've published ads and there's nothing wrong against their policy with the ad. It's just like whatever review process they had went wrong at that point and I was punished for it. I, you know, couldn't advertise on X account for a period of days and such. Like, I mean, if you've done your due diligence, you've written it well, it might stand the test of time. Maybe if you haven't, it, it gets through somehow. But like, I guess I ask myself the question when you say like the most viewed piece of content in Q1 was fake, how did it get to the point where it was most viewed? I mean, th there has to be like a, a, a drown button or something like where it's like, okay, can we prevent this from like escalating to the extent that we can allow our algorithm to do so? You know what I mean? Like, well, and I love the way that Twitter was handling some of that political content where it had warnings on it. Um, you know, because I think at the end of the day, no matter what platforms do, we have to be independent thinkers. We have to be able to apply our own judgment and not go to Dr. Google or, you know, Facebook as a source of news. <laughs> like for real. But I guess what, what worries some people is, you know, when you see a credible news source like the New York Times or Chicago Tribune, can you rely on them as well to be accurate and truthful? even when it's sitting in a platform, you should be able to. Also like the way that Reddit handles this stuff, you know, the conversation with multiple perspectives, I think is always healthy. Reddit is a way, yeah, it's usually a healthy way to have an argument or a dialogue about something, converse about something. But uh, yeah, there's, man, you could go on on this subject for a long time, Karen. I think like Jacob and I have like all tons of thoughts, but it's like, okay, I want to be careful about how outside of the, uh, <laughs> the weeds we get here. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Now, does anybody have any other yeah. final thoughts on this before we jump to another another Facebook story? Now, let's just jump to another Facebook story. Jump, jump to it. Take up so much of our freaking lives anyways. <laughs> <laughs> so Mark Zuckerberg has come out on the record and said that within the next five years, he doesn't want Facebook to be a social media company. He wants Facebook to be a metaverse company. And so I'm going to try do my best to explain what a metaverse is is because it's kind of it can be difficult to wrap your head around but kind of how i try the wikipedia definition i'm going to kind of try to explain it and then i'll just read the wikipedia definition but from my understanding it's kind of like the blending of the physical and the digital world where these world they're not going to be separated by devices anymore i mean vr is going to be a component ar is going to be a component and so 
it's kind of as the physical and the virtual world kind of become one essentially. And so the Wikipedia's definition is the metaverse is, col- is a collective virtual shared space created by the convergence of virtually enhanced physical reality and physically persistent virtual space, including the sum of all virtual worlds, augmented reality and the internet. So it's just kind of everything coming into one. I think it was first, there was a, it's actually the first time metaverse was coined was in a science fiction book in the nineties. The name escaped me right now. Neil Stevenson, Snow my crash. favorite author. Yes. So that's where it was first coined. Um, and so Ready basically Player what, one. Ready yeah. Player one movie is pretty much the metaverse. Yeah. That's a good way to kind of think of it. And so basically what Zuck was saying was that he wants Facebook to move more towards metaverse and focus on metaverse products. And he said one thing too, I think is interesting that he wants to create more authentic interactions because we're not supposed to interact how we are on the platform he's created on. So on Facebook, like he wants it to be humans weren't made to interact on a phone. He said, so he wants to help manufacture and create more authentic interactions between people. Um, one I mean, for a lot of people to hear Facebook as building a metaverse, like I feel like a lot of alarm bells go off for a lot of people. Uh, one thing he did say, which I think was interesting, is he doesn't want necessarily Facebook to own the metaverse. He just want to be Facebook's metaverse. He says the best outcome for a metaverse will be one created by, and what I here is a uh, metaverse should be open. So kind of like how the internet, no one actually owns the internet. There should just be one metaverse that we all contribute to. But I think other companies are trying to build their own metaverses. So it's going to be, I think, a little bit more complicated than the internet. Um, but so that's what his hope is, is that, so the quote here is, well, I think that there'll be a number of different layers to this. I think a good vision for the metaverse is not one that a specific company builds. So he's not trying to build just a Facebook metaverse. I think he has a bit of a bigger vision than just that. Um, and they've already started taking steps towards being a metaverse company just recently announced, I think what they're calling their first metaverse product. And that is horizon and horizon is essentially a VR meeting space. So for everyone working from home, you can throw on your Oculus Rift. I think it's compatible with other platforms as well. Um, but you can throw on your Oculus Rift, your VR goggles, and then it looks like you're in a boardroom and you can look around the boardroom and see everyone else in the boardroom. So you're all in one shared virtual space. Um, so that recently was just baited, I believe, earlier this week, late last week, I believe. Um, and so I think it's it's interesting, like the current Horizon app in the boardroom, you all kind of look like your Miis from the Nintendo Wii, like what those characters look like. So it's not very realistic yet. Obviously, it's very, very early stages of this. Um, but kind of knowing that this is where Facebook is heading, I don't necessarily think it's a reactionary, a reactionary move on their part because like they've been making steps kind of towards this, like with the acquisition of VR, focusing on AR, trying to get more into the creator space because I think creators is going to be a huge part of the metaverse. So I don't think it's a reactionary. I think it's something they've slowly been building towards in the background and now they're just kind of putting it out there to be like, hey, this is actually what we're working on. But now my question for you two is what do we think of the metaverse kind of just in general and what do we think of Facebook becoming a metaverse company? What do I think in the metaverse in general? The idea of the physical and the digital worlds like becoming seamless or like one is slightly scary and a little bit intimidating to me. Um, but at the same time, cool to like know that we're kind of on the cusp of it, I think. And like it's interesting to know that we're on some pretty major. I don't know, like humanity milestones, if you will, like getting to this level of technology, I think. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I won't be a first adopter. And uh, I guess past that, I do wonder, like, you know, I'm okay with Facebook being a metaverse company. Like I, those are the companies who are going to play in those spaces. 
what does, you know, what role does social media play inside of that? Or like, how does it look even in a metaverse? Like that to me is an interesting question. I don't begin to know the answer, but, um, you know, social media in a world of like VR and stuff, it could be like just crazy interactive and just the things you could be capable of doing as a creator, as a brand. I don't know. Yeah. Karen? I, I mean, I feel like Facebook has tried to create workplace products before. Anyone has ever tried Facebook for work? Um, I felt like it was like a bubble that was Slack has completely disrupted that it was, you know, kind of people don't want their work and their Facebook mixing all the time. Um, I also feel like, you know, there are a lot of people building products in this area, building on the metaverse. I have friends who are thought leaders in the area and are super enthusiastic. I personally don't want to wear VR goggles all day. Me neither. I think there's a lot of issues with, you know, work from home as it is, let alone working in virtual reality. <laughs> Um, anyone who's ever spent any time in Second Life way back in the day, it was fun and you didn't need VR goggles. But even then, like it, it's tiresome. It's draining to be in a virtual world, right? Um, so I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. I think that it is reactive. I think maybe, you know, maybe, maybe Zuckerberg doesn't want them to be a social network anymore for some of the reasons we outlined in some of the earlier content. Maybe he wants to live in VR now. I don't know. Maybe. And I think like, I think it's not going to be exclusive to VR. Like my expectation, it'll be like AR. And so Zuckerberg says like the technology for this already exists, but it's getting it small enough to essentially fit into glasses like the one I'm wearing. And they can't look like the Google glass because that's just, they have to look like something you'd wear in your everyday. But then it's just like, what does that look like where if you're wearing like a computer on your glasses? Like I think one of the examples he gave is like, you could go to a Starbucks and like tap your glasses and then your monitors just show up virtually with a keyboard on the table. And you could essentially bring your kit here. You could then type on the keyboard that's being projected through your glasses that's working on the monitors that only you can see. Um, so I think it's going to create some interesting looking like experiences if you're not wearing glasses and there's just a bunch of people typing on, typing on their tables and no one can actually, no one else can see their, their, um, their keyboards. But I think it's, yeah, I don't think it's going to be VR. I think it's going to be more AR It's going to be where more of the adoption is going to come from. But then it's like, then this could obviously like dive into a conversation around NFTs and how NFTs can impact the metaverse and how like if I have a certain NFT and I go to a store, I can see a deal that no one else can when I look at the tag because I have that NFT and my glasses are AR so I can see the tag has a sale that no one else can see. Or like there's other applications I can see getting into this, um, but it's just going to be interesting to see kind of where this goes. And from my understanding too, I think Apple's actually releasing glasses within the next year or something like that, like AR glasses. Um, so yeah, super early days, but it's just going to be interesting to see kind of where all of this goes. I'm curious why Facebook went to the workplace and not deeper into gaming, which is where I think there's a natural fit for it. I feel like Oculus has never really, really taken off the way they thought it would. But that's the point, I guess, is like that even Jacob's getting at is, you know, you and I, Karen, we don't want to wear that Oculus crap and like uh, those big VR headsets. It's cool for like an experience thing once or twice or like, you know, one, once a, a year maybe. But like if I had it every day or if like all I had to do in my office to like get going for the day is like sit down and put on my glasses or something like that, like that's a different type of uh, option, I suppose, that I might be a little bit more interested especially when it, i'm sure it could just be so integrated across like everything you're doing like you're talking about jacob i it's hard to imagine those types of things you know what i mean like you can only just have so much of your imagination linked to like well things that i like or that i use and then but like trying to picture your whole world or something like 
you know, everything that really could be running through it. It's like beyond me at this point. Yeah. There's definitely still some concerns too, right? Like what happens in a world where if we're all wearing these glasses and I can see your follower account floating above your head, like, Oh, I only like, you know what I mean? Like there, so there is like, I think it's going to be a fine line. We're going to have to walk here. Like there's going to be some cool applications. Like I would love to have a pair of glasses like that where I could just like, it pops up two monitors. I can start typing, but like there's other implications that I think that this is going to be, it's a very heavy topic and I'd obviously we can't dive into all of it today, but Exactly. What I did about VR that I didn't get about Second Life. Why not just video? Why not real life? Like why avatars? Why a made up world? Why not the real world? I don't get yeah. that. I think with with the with the Horizons app they just launched, it's for like with all if you're a remote company, so if people all over the world, you can still sit in the same room without having to travel and everything. Um, but if if you're all sitting like if like I would if everyone was sitting in the True Fan office and they all just threw on VR goggles instead of walking to a boardroom, like that would make sense. <laughs> like so I, I understand where you're coming out with that, but like if it's like someone in Malaysia, someone in New York, somebody in London, like obviously like, I understand kind of from that perspective. But even like with what it looks like right now, like it's not something I it's not going to feel natural anyways. Like it, it, to your point, like what's the point if it's not actually going to feel real? Well, what That's about just Zoom and video? I don't get it. Yeah, I yeah. agree with you, Karen. Like, that's the intimidating part to me is like taking such a far step beyond like, like, will people just stop getting together in person uh, more now? Like, I think we're at a place after COVID where everybody thinks, oh, I don't get like, I don't do that much. But like two, three, four years out of this, like if we haven't been through like another massive pandemic, which is an if, you know, like we've seen people a lot, but we're not meant to hold like, you know, how much relationships could you have like? literally where you're seeing people and doing stuff together all the time through one of those things way more than like human beings are like intellectually kind of capable of even having so i'm trying to think about how to be productive like how would you be productive in a vr world work world i'm trying to think about like i feel like the the basic fundamentals of kind of operating in that world would be very prohibitive but maybe i just don't have enough experience with it it's going to be interesting to see kind of how, how it all plays out. Like, I, I think we're still a little, not far away, but we're not close either. Like I've played VR at my, cause my little cousin has an Oculus. So like I've played it a couple of times, like it's cool, but like, there's nothing where I'm like, this is awesome. You know what I mean? Like you can still, it's a little bit clunky still. So I think we're They're going to keep iterating on it obviously, but yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it all shakes out. But geez, remember when like Nintendo Wii controllers and like playing tennis virtually in your living room was like a big thing. <laughs> Mm-hmm. seems like we've come a lifetime since then yeah very true that is only the beginning but only the beginning of this only the end of this episode i want to thank you both for taking the time to come on the podcast as always they can find you so i'll just do this i'll i'll say it because we always go back and forth there's that spacing you can find karen on instagram and twitter at bond jane bond or on linkedin karen o'brien OB, no apostrophe. Scott, Scott Birdie on LinkedIn or at Scott underscore Birdie, Instagram and Twitter. Did I get that right? Yep. Perfect. Both everyone's handles, including my own, I'm at the Jacob Kelly on all social medias, will be linked in the show notes down below. Thank you once again for listening. Whether you listen the entire way through or you only listen to bits and pieces, I really appreciate you taking time to check this out. On top of all of our social handles, I will also link all of the stories we talked about today. So if you want to learn more, if you want to dig deeper, if you want to understand it for yourself, if you want to read it for yourself, it'll be down there. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to leave us a positive rating and review and share this episode with a friend. As always, today's podcast is powered by TrueFan. Thank you once again for listening, everybody. We'll talk soon.